Cheers Cast is part of the Fire and Water Network. Sam and his pre-scientific notions of magical bottle caps. No, you gotta admit he's had a lot of bad luck. And, uh, sorry, I'm late. What is it uh, today, Sam? Oh, nothing too exciting. I locked my keys in the car. Hey, I went to pull. Cliff wins it three days in a row. Some can't. What'd you have yesterday, Cliff? Uh, was uh, scrapes and nicks, and he cut himself shaving. Uh, and the day before that, I had uh, stubbing something. Still hurts. <laughs> uh, tell me, what do you like tomorrow? Uh, uh, I see a mine shaft. <laughs> Sam, come on. Please tell me that you don't think these things are happening to you because you've lost your talisman. Look what's happening to Rick Walker with that bottle cap. I mean, he's turning into a Hall of Famer. He was on AM Boston this morning. No kidding, Sam. What do you say? I don't know. I left my uh, TV set next to the heater last night. It exploded. Were you hurt? No, no. Luckily, I was unconscious in my bathtub. <laughs> Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Everybody knows your name You wanna go where people know People are all the same You wanna go where everybody knows your name Hello and welcome back to Cheers Cast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly and I am thrilled to welcome a special guest this time around. You may have heard him on our Tribute to Prince episode of FW Presents, and you ought to be familiar with some of his music if you listen to my Secret Origins and Midnight the Podcasting Hour shows. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my brother, Neil Daly. What's up, man? <laughs> How's it going, buddy? Good to, good to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for, uh, for being on this episode. Uh, back on the first episode of this podcast... I mentioned that one of my childhood memories from the 80s was watching the NBC Thursday night lineup. Uh, that included Cosby mm-hmm. Show, which has aged very well, Fam- <laughs> Family Ties, uh, Cheers, and of course Night Court uh, with you, Mom, and Dad. And do you remember that? Yeah. And what is your memory of Cheers? I do, I do. Boy, that's, that's kind of a loaded question. There's a, there's a lot to cover in this. My introduction to Cheers, there's probably a number of things. Yes, I definitely recall Thursday Night Must See TV uh, and actually the evolution of it because eventually then it became Seinfeld and Friends, you know, kind of took over that spot too later on down the road. But, I mean, as far as I can recall, like you, I think Thursday Night NBC's lineup was the first time that the family, our family, sat around and watched TV. That that was the that was the first time I can recall, you know, we we ate TV tray dinners in front of you know in the living room on the couch and just had to watch TV. It was it was fantastic. It was cool and I think the thing obviously I was you know I'm older than you but what I recall about Cheers the most, my earliest memories of it was number 1, 
it was uh, the first sitcom that I can recall that was not centered around the home and the family. It didn't take place in somebody's house. It was a workplace comedy, and that was new to me. I mean, I know that there were, there were other ones before that. There were shows like the Barney Millers and things like that of that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taxi, which, you know, right. all those are a little bit before my time. But uh, this was the first workplace comedy that centered not around a family, but friends that would commune and get together and stuff. So that was kind of neat and new to me. And then, of course, I was at an age where what was this bar thing that people were talking about? I've heard about a bar. I've, you know, I've seen people talk about bars, but you had to be 21 to get in there. So it was almost like a mystical, mythical place that I wanted to know what happened there. Why was being at a bar so cool? Why was it so important? <laughs> so there were so, so there was there was something about that. It was it was an element that you know we could watch any sitcom, Family Ties, Cosby Show, uh, uh, Growing Pains, mm-hmm. and we could you know we could plug our families into those places. But I couldn't do it with Cheers. So it elevated the status a little bit and made me want to know: Is this what bars are like? Friends go there. This is this is better than being in school. <laughs> so so I think that was probably that was my interest reduction to it. And then obviously, you know, once I I got older and began to appreciate more writing and characters and the separation of the characters, and then and then you fall in love with people for different reasons and, and all these other things. And then it just became, and it was funny, but it had heart to it, which we'll get into in this specific episode as we as we go on in the podcast. But uh, yeah, that's. I mean, I could go on and on, but I don't want. <laughs> what, what what else? Did, what else about you, brother? Well, uh, no, I'm trying to plug our family into some of these shows that you mentioned, like Family Ties and Growing Pains, and <laughs> I'm I'm getting caught up on characters like Boner and, uh, and Nick. And, uh, <laughs> if I survive, if I survive this one, I'll do a Family Ties podcast just to talk about Nick and Mallory. So. <laughs> yeah, no, no, actually, actually, that is funny, though, because now that we're on that subject, it is kind of funny. Like, I think I've had a tendency to, as a kid, and again, going back to my earliest memories of Cheers, kind of subconsciously labeling my friends as who, as, as characters in Cheers. Like, I remember the group of people, like, thinking, who would be Norm? Or which of my friends would be that? And I always had, like, the character you know and uh, like there were there i had certain dichotomies in my life that perfectly fell into this and then you know without getting too far ahead of ourselves uh why this episode appeals to me specifically is because there was a lot of sam malone that i related to mm-hmm. and you know we'll, we'll we'll go forward and get into that but you know it was funny because i had friends that i could i could picture who would be the clip who was that? you know that was, it was it was it was fun it was fun to like they had all these archetypes that were yep. just classic characters. And again, one of the things that I want to talk about as we go forward into the details of this specific episode is how now these characters have started to shape and form themselves and become like, so they're, they're so well-versed in what they do that you can almost predict what lines are coming next from them because now we know them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, and I mean, talking about a character building episode, and, and let's, let's just jump into it. So, uh, for this sure, one, yeah. we are talking about season one, episode ten, "Endless Slumper." Uh, the episode is written by Sam Simon. It is directed, as so many episodes are, by James Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, December second, nineteen eighty-two. Sam gets a visit from another Red Sox pitcher named Rick Walker, who is in the middle of a slump. Everyone in the bar is quick to offer Rick advice, except for Carla, who offers nothing but booze and heckles. Diane suggests Rick try guided meditation. Coach recommends Rick distract himself with sex, and Sam tells him to get a lucky charm. 
As an example, he shows Rick a bottle cap that he says he always credited with bringing him good luck. And then, reluctantly, he lets Rick borrow it until he gets over his slump. Over the next week, Rick's performance on the mound improves dramatically, while Sam's luck in every other area plummets, resulting in everything from minor embarrassment to personal injuries. Diane learns that Sam's lucky bottle cap had nothing to do with his baseball performance, that it was, in fact, the cap to the last bottle he ever drank before getting sober, and to this day, Sam feels like the lucky charm keeps him from drinking. In desperation, Sam calls Rick and asks for the bottle cap back, but Rick admits to losing it days ago. With his lucky charm lost forever, Sam begins to lose his composure. Diane pleads with him not to drink, but he opens a beer, and stares at it, and stares at it, until he is able to literally slide the beer aside and regain his control. The episode ends with Sam's sobriety intact, and a new lucky bottle cap in his pocket. Uh, so, uh, before we actually, uh, dive right into our notes, uh, I, I kind of want to mention sort of prefatorially that obviously a season one episode, I was way too young when this episode originally premiered. <laughs> and then this is a rare episode that I do not remember ever seeing in syndication. Uh, and Cheers mm. was always on syndication. You know, I remember seeing it in the early afternoons or around dinner time. Even uh, it would be like it, it was running on like WGN, yep. I think, for years in the early nineties. Uh, even I think yeah, when, it was in the, when it was newer, in the five thirty. Yeah, when newer episodes were still on, I think even. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but yeah. I never remember seeing this one in syndication. It wasn't until the early two thousands when I got the DVD set uh, of the first season that I watched this one, and it hit me hard. Uh, for one thing, just being a new episode that I was like, I, I don't remember this. This is this is weird. It's like <laughs> discovering a lost episode. Um, sure, but sure, then sure. also uh, the subject matter. I mean, this is a heavy, dramatic oh, episode. Yeah. And, and, and as I was watching it, I was kind of like, it's not as funny of an episode. It's much more dramatic. Um, what, did, yeah. what did you think about that? Well, boy, I, I, you hit the nail on the head. I would have described it the exact same way in terms of this was up to up to, at least through the first season, what we've seen the first nine episodes. This by far had and, and granted, every episode of Cheers has its funny beats. There, there are some laugh out loud moments in this episode, too. Mm-hmm. But on, on a whole, this definitely felt like drama. This definitely felt like there was uh, there, it was deep. It was heavy. And the funny thing, I'm actually interested because now that you mentioned it, this would have aired at a time when I was too young to really remember what was going on, too. I mean, I knew I watched it, but I don't think this would have left an impression on me at the age when it would have aired. So now I'm curious. I mean, I must have seen it in syndication at somewhere down the line. I, I must have. I don't remember when exactly I did. But there were so many as I brushed up on this episode and watched it again. All of it, like I remembered absolutely every scene from this episode. I remember it leaving an indelible mark on me. And this was, I was always drawn to this particular episode rings true to me in a lot of ways, because as you know, you and I both, I mean, for our, (laughs) for our listeners that aren't familiar with us and our personal lives, you know, you and I have always been kind of very, very, we're, we're classified as funny people, but I gravitate more towards drama and I, the, the challenges of drama and whatnot. And there's something about, and this goes true, not just with cheers, but with other with other sitcoms, I've seen episodes of, uh, I mean, any, any name a sitcom, but the episodes where something, there was a family ties two part episode that was Alex Keaton's mm-hmm. best friend died in a drunk driving accident. And it was a two part episode that was shot live as a play all in one take. It's an amazing episode. And, 
Yes, and he had to do. But there is that. That's a perfect example of whenever a, a sitcom can touch on these heavy, real moments and not gloss over them, but attack it head on. Boy, oh boy, this episode. Every time I watch this episode, there. I, 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 I mean, it's it's heavy, it's deep, and it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and. I can't help but think, and maybe it has something to do with like me not remember seeing the episode before. But um, as I, you know, I've watched this episode a dozen times now. But as I was watching it, like something when I was preparing for it, I wondered if those same things that we were talking about—how heavy it was, how dramatic, how different an episode it is tonally, particularly like the last five minutes of this episode. There's not really a joke or gag. There are a no. few lines that. They get laughs from the laugh track, but they're kind of half-hearted laughs. So what I was kind of come back to was, I, I wonder if this episode kind of scared either the producers or the network, because I suspect, and I have no way of knowing this, I don't know if any of the creators could ever confirm this, but I suspect this episode might have been planned for earlier in the season, because... Mm. The air date for this one was December 2nd, but this episode mm-hmm. obviously takes place during baseball season. Uh, I mean, it, sure. like, yeah. and, and they're not talking about the playoffs or anything like that. So it yeah. would have been more for a September, maybe early October episode, um, yeah. because the episode before this, episode 9, deals with the cold weather in Boston. <laughs> uh, and episode right. 12 is a Christmas episode. So this one falls at a, like, a weird place. I wouldn't be surprised if this should have been like episode four or five and the network was like, nope, you need to have a funnier episode. Like we, we can't like this should have been like an episode to build on who Sam is and deal with this aspect of his character, his alcoholism and his superstition. Yeah. But they were like, nope, we're not ready for this one. Put this like we, we the, the audience needs to grow with this show first because the, the show struggled with the ratings. It was almost canceled. So yeah. I, I don't know that for a fact, but I would suspect based on the fact that this episode would have taken place months earlier, like obviously in baseball season, that this might have been an earlier episode. And also because of Carla's performance. Carla seems very much more loud, like animated, kind of in your face like she was in the early episodes, whereas by episodes yeah, eight yeah. and nine, she had toned down a lot more. So Actually, that that's a very interesting point you make, and I noticed the same sort of pattern with Cliff Clavin in this episode. There was, and, and I, I don't want to like spoil a punchline at the end. One of my favorite moments of this was uh, a Cliff line when he he has Sam perform the bar trick, the bar mm-hmm. line for the first time, mm-hmm. and because he says the guy sitting next to him doubts his ability to do it, and so Sam does it, and then Cliff has kind of this biting, hard sarcasm, "Hit the bricks, pal!" Yeah, and kicks the guy and kicks the guy out, <laughs> which is hysterical. Yeah, on the whole, it's hysterical. It's a great moment. But if you look, if you look it deeper into the character of Cliff, he wasn't that in the early episodes. He was a little bit snarky. Yeah, and he that was. was. Yeah. You know, he, so there was a lot of him that kind of softened up too and became kind of the lovable, you know, obnoxious, you know, know it all. <laughs> right. Uh, la- later on, but he wasn't there yet. So I think there there might be something to your 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 sus- suspicion that maybe this show was. Uh, written and maybe even shot earlier in the season but based on ratings and where the show was they might have decided to hold it yeah and wait to see you know how the show went yeah i mean that's what i think and you brought up cliff and i had that same note too about him and this is something that uh, a few other guests have kind of mentioned before this was cliff 
like in the beginning he yeah he he has this kind of cockiness this arrogance that yeah that line like yes, just hit yes. the bricks pal like that's a more <laughs> assertive cliff than we're generally used to and i think it's because the character before he's really formed he is the bar know-it-all but i think yes. probably like until diane walked in and later on when fraser kind of becomes a regular in the cast cliff probably mm-hmm. rightly assumed he was the smartest person in the bar for like the longest sure. time yeah and over time, we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll see that bar know-it-all turn into more of like a conspiracy theorist, and he becomes kind of like more of a yeah. nut job. But that that takes a couple right. seasons to develop. So I I definitely think yeah, like his like yeah his cocky his arrogance yeah there, there's just something about him when he has that line. But yeah, and that it is a wonderful little bit of sight gag that that comes up twice in the episode <laughs> with with Sam's uh, Sam's bar slide. Uh, which is this great mm-hmm. trick where he pours it in the middle and he just kind of slides it, and it's like a curveball of a of a of a beer beer glass that just spin, like yeah. curves down the uh, down the edge of the bar, so it kind of like turns along the contours, and it's it's a wonderful little bit of physical humor that works in that in that moment, and then is brought back masterfully in the climax of the episode. Yeah, I mean, this was a note that I actually kind of wanted to get to later on, but since we're on the subject of the bar slide, I think it's a brilliant piece of writing and directing because uh, for a number of reasons. First of all, the book ends the episode basically with the bar slide. You know, the bar slide works at the beginning, and then in the middle when he struggles, it breaks, and then at the very end, he regains it and does it. It's a it's a very very poetic way to kind of bookend this episode, but it's also very very ironic to reference it as a bar slide, which is what they call it. They don't, they don't say the, you know, the beer curve or anything. Mm-hmm. There's a number of things they could have called it, and they call it a bar slide. And as an alcoholic, any, or any alcoholic would know that when you fall off the wagon, it's considered a slide. Yeah. So yeah. I, think that that, I think that that's very, very interesting, going almost for like some meta humor kind of mm-hmm. thing. You know, it, it's, 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 a, it's a really insightful, brilliant piece of writing. It's a wonderful bit of showing instead of telling, because there's any yeah, number yeah. of Sam could have given a monologue at the end about sobriety and, and showing us that, you know, he's got his mojo back, but they didn't need him to yep. say anything. The visual yep. cue of him getting the bar slide back of curving the glass is just the perfect note. And that says everything. It's like a fist pounding in the air moment. Um, so yep, yeah, yep. yeah it's, no. it's very much, it's the classic, it's the classic less is more. Kind yes. Of thing. Yep. And the great, and the great thing is you could tell from the audience reaction, watching the show live on the soundtrack to the, like everybody got it. There was nothing else that needed to be said. I mean, it was almost like a stand up and applaud moment. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it really is good. Um, so backtracking then, you know, kind of going yeah. through, <laughs> through the episode, uh, we start off with um, the teaser, for, for one thing. And this is another reason why I think this episode was earlier, because Carla's attitude, she's just, she's very loud, she's very boisterous in this teaser. Um, it's set up that <laughs> she brings in this elderly woman who is applying to be a tutor for, for Carla's kids. And the whole premise is Carla wants to know how tough this woman is. <laughs> In as much as she challenges the woman to punch her. And it's this elderly, like, gentle looking woman who's like, I don't want to strike you. The fact that she says, I'm not going to strike you instead of punch you. And Carla's like, yeah, it's six bucks an hour. And the woman lays out and, like, hits her. And everybody's so impressed that she had this punch. They're like, yeah, you got the job. So it's a nice, it's a nice little bit. In that same scene, I thought one of the, one of the funnier, subtle, Humor, humoristic moments was uh, when uh, the lady walks in to meet with Carla, and Carla yells, top of her lungs to the bar, "I'm taking my break," yeah. and then 
and if you look around, there's nobody in the bar yet. It's probably four or five in the afternoon. Bar just opened. There's maybe three patrons there. And so it's just, it's just, it was just a very, very kind of under the radar sort of classic Carlaism. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, it was like she didn't need to announce it. She didn't need to even say it. <laughs> right. And she's shouting ostensibly to Sam, who's like three feet away from her. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. It was, yeah. I just thought that was really funny, and uh, you know, it makes that was one of those things as as an actor, as a performer. You know, it makes me wonder, and we'll never know the answer to this. But was it written that way, or is that just what what she brought to the to that scene? You know, right. it's, it's very. It, I don't know. You know, we'll never know if she was directed to do that or if that was just her. But that was a very, very subtle, mm-hmm. great choice as an actress. Yeah. The the woman who does come into apply, I just had in my notes for for the casting, uh, the character is Miss Gilder. She is played by Anne Haney. Uh, looking her up on IMDb, she had tons of TV work uh, right up until the year 2001, which is the year that she died. Uh, so she was working right up until then. Um, but a few notable things I mentioned. Uh, she was in the movie The American President. She played the president's secretary. She was in the movie Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, and then just for Rob Kelly, she was in the show After Mash. <laughs> so... The other, the other major guest star, who's uh, a big part of the first, the first act, basically, is Rick Walker. Uh, this uh, relief pitcher yeah. for, or, or I don't know if he's a relief. Yeah, he, he gets credit for save, yeah, so he, he would have been. Pitcher. Yeah, he would have been a relief pitcher, played by Christopher McDonald, uh, who was in the movie Quiz Show, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. He was in Fatal yeah, Instinct. He was in Thelma and Louise, Requiem for a Dream, mm-hmm. Grease Two. Yep. Um, and then he's had tons of TV, including uh, HBO's Ballers and Boardwalk Empire. So yeah, he's got tons of things, and and I, I didn't mention it in the uh, in my synopsis, but most of Act One, when he comes in and everybody's giving him different advice, most of Act One is centered on this one amazing exchange where yeah. Diane is recommending that Rick try some kind of deep meditation to get his his mojo back, <laughs> and the coach has recommended that he you know he goes out with the ladies and he he works on his sex life. Because of a miscommunication, there's a scene (laughs) where Diane is talking and she is talking about meditation and Rick thinks she's talking about sex. So everything she has, everything she says has a double meaning to him where she's talking about she likes to get in a half an hour before breakfast. She (laughs) likes to do it outside where people can watch. Sometimes they join in. Sometimes join in. (laughs) And it's amazing. And what makes it work is because Sam is in the scene with them and he's the only one who, like the audience, is in on the joke that he knows that this is a miscommunication. And to see his reaction that he can't control himself, he's laughing at these moments. And watching the actors in the scene, like, I I think the actors are actually cracking up in this scene, too, because Diane should be playing this straight, and she, Shelley Long is beaming in this scene. She's got a huge smile. I think they were all yeah. actually cracking up, and the, James Burroughs was probably struggling to find one take where they actually got the lines out, because this is an amazing scene in the, in the show. Yes, it is. As a matter of fact, there were a couple of things that I noticed in this particular scene, which is one of them. One of them is there's a moment where Sam literally almost spits his beer out. And I don't think that was a character choice. I think that was he would have been spitting his water I think out. that was Ted Danson. Almost, well, water, yeah. Literally almost spitting his water out. And, and I think it was, it was, I think the moment was when, when a Rick Walker wants to know if Diane and him have ever gotten together for sex. And Diane thinks they're talking about meditation. And she goes, oh, him? Oh, he would only make jokes. <laughs> 
and and Ted Danson's reaction is so honest and true. I don't think it was. I think that was the actor not able to keep laughter. In. Yes. I think I think Ted Ted Danson broke and almost spit his water out at that moment. <laughs> and then and then there was then there was a couple. Of, as the scene goes on, I think you're right in terms of uh, you know it was edited together really well. But there is an audio track where it's the camera is on Shelley Long. And, uh, and and Christopher McDonald, and you hear Sam laughing, yeah. and then they cut back to Sam, and he's trying to hold a straight face. But it was obviously Sam's laughter in the, on the audio track. So I think you're absolutely right. That scene must have been just a riot to film, but impossible to put together, <laughs> impossible to edit. So uh, the scene wonderfully culminates with Diane leading Rick back to the back office, and Sam is like, look, I've got to stop this. I've let this go too far. And Diane, of course, arrogantly, no, 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 we've heard from you. We're done. And she leads Rick to the back office, and you just have everybody watching them, and you just hear faintly the sound of a slap, and Diane comes in. Uh, and notable in this episode, she references a facial tick. This is not the only time. This is not the only time Diane's facial tick comes up in the show. She, this this will come back a few times, and I think this is just something that Shelley Long could do, um, and the writers found ways to incorporate this every once in a while. They, they, she could do this thing with her face where it kind of like breaks up and cracks. And I actually, I I mentioned this back on I think it was episode six when uh, there's a scene when she kind of seems to be winking at Carlo with both eyes. Um, <laughs> So I just think Shelley Long just had like this command of her facial muscles and expressions, um, and they decided to make this this facial tick. So uh, that's yeah. a great thing. But and again, like this is a like this is an amazing thing. But the, the was wonderfully comedic scene. But still, like the episode feels a little imbalanced. But it's not a bad thing because you wouldn't until until the last five minutes of this episode. You think it's about one thing. You think it's an episode, yep. a story about superstition and about right. you know l- lucky charms or, or bad luck or something. And it actually, I realize that it really works for a character like Sam because professional athletes, if you talk to them, they're among the most superstitious people in the world. Baseball Absolutely. players are probably the most superstitious of all professional athletes. And among them, pitchers are the most superstitious of them. So yeah, it would yeah. it would make perfect sense that Sam would have this type of thing. So yeah, it's kind of funny that like in the second act it, it looks like yeah, he he gave up his good luck charm. He's having all of this bad luck. There's another wonderfully comedic beat where Cliff is describing the types of like, ways that Sam has hurt himself <laughs> and how Cliff keeps winning the pool. <laughs> right. Um I'll actually I'll mention one of them uh, later on in the episode. <laughs> Um, okay. but it, that, that seems to be the through line that it's just about, you know, superstition and bad luck. And then there's this lingering mystery because Diane's like, how many games did Sam win with this bottle cap? And coach says none. Uh, so she realized it has nothing to do with baseball and Sam has to reluctantly confide to her when they're all alone, when everybody else has gone home that, and in, I love his performance. Again, this, this is such a Sam heavy episode and I can say this about every moment in the show, but when Sam, he's like, I didn't want to tell you the reason because you'd think it was silly. And then when he confesses, he's like that little, that little bottle cap keeps me from drinking. And he does this like little, like kind of like click with his mouth as if he's trying to like shove it aside like it's no big deal like you know forget i said it even after he said it um and it's, and she you know forces him to come out of it and he and he reveals he's like you know what is the last bottle the last cap to any bottle i ever drank and he's like and since then i've really had this urge to drink and everything and and like from that moment it's like the just the tone shifts and it's like oh this this episode wasn't about what i thought it was about 
Yeah. And it, yeah, it's just heavy. And like the fact that once he once he says that, he also happens to turn off the lights in the bar at that same moment. So it's like mm-hmm. the weight, the gravity comes down. It's just these two people, he, and he's in a very dark place. So, mm-hmm. uh, like, what did you think about that? And like, kind of kind of leading well, into his breakdown towards the end, or his very near breakdown. Yeah. Well, man, I, I honestly, all, almost all my notes. Or you could have easily been in my head as you just described that because I I almost made like checkpoints of everything you just said. I think that it was very, very interesting the way that they comedically played. I mean, first of all, you were right about this, you know, uh, this whole nature of, of superstitious athletes. I mean, there were movies that came out after this that kind of, you know, Bull Durham and Major League had all these elements of pitchers mm-hmm. being superstitious and all that stuff. And this episode came first. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, very, it's very, very interesting that they kind of tackled that subject there. And I, I, I absolutely can attest to, uh, uh, you know, you don't have to be a professional athlete to have superstitious rituals and things that, you know, I could, I could relate to so much in this, whether it was, you know, wearing the same outfit to an audition because I booked the last one or whether it's uh, you know, um, taping my, my wrists and ankles the same way for a football game because I played well the week before or something. I mean, it's very, very interesting how this carries over into a lot of life. I don't know if you're aware of this. Uh, you might be, but I haven't opened a fortune cookie in 20 years, and it's because I had this weird sort of superstitious belief that there was going to be one day, nobody knows when it is, but the universe would decide to hand out the fortunes. <laughs> it, was, it could be any time. But I opened a fortune cookie about 20 years ago, and I'm not going to repeat what it said, but it meant something to me, and it was the fortune I want to get. So that's the one, and I was always afraid that Whatever day that the universe decides to hand out fortunes, it's going to be the last one you read. So I'm like, I'm never going to jinx that. I will never look at another fortune cookie for the rest of my life because of that. So I've eaten fortune cookies, but I will not look at the fortune. I will rip it up, throw it away, crumble it, and make sure nobody else reads it. And it's, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that the one day my fortune is going to come true, and it's because I superstitiously believe that, there is, that I already read the fortune I'm going to get, and that's the one I want, so I don't need to see another one. So, I, so, I sorry just, about that. I thought you didn't like fortune cookies. I mean, I, I don't. I think they taste gross, but. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's, there's, there's that. But no, but that, so that, you know, but anyway, going back to how this comes back to the episode with all the things that you said, um, yeah, it, it does take a sharp left turn where it goes from, you know, the, the comedy of ritual and superstition and whatnot, then to all of a sudden this, uh, this dark turn in the dramatic, what it means to him and why it's so important. And it's, oh man, and you talked about it too. There was something I noticed early on, the subtleties of Sam's delivery, as he described things, you know, he was very, he tried to make, you know, he tried to use humor as a deflection. And, you know, like, like you said, when he told Diane, oh, you think it's silly. The truth is, he didn't really believe she would think it's silly. He's trying to make it sound like it's silly because he doesn't want to talk about it or doesn't want to show that weakness in him. But he does this thing also, you know, it coaches the one that brings up, you can tell when, when Sam's first talking to Rick about good luck charms, Sam again uses humor saying, well, I wouldn't throw at people named Reggie, you know, or the bull and all this stuff. He doesn't want to talk about it. You could sense there's something uncomfortable about it. And then coaches the one that says, Sam, you did have a good luck charm. And then Sam awkwardly, cautiously says, well, yeah, yeah, there was one. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's very, very, it's, again, it's heavy. There's a lot of this. As the more and more I watch it, the more I, I watch the subtleties in, in Ted Danson's performance as Sam, that there's this, 
they're, they're, it's amazing how impactful this thing is, and he doesn't want to talk about it, and he wants to deflect with humor, and he wants to pretend it's not that big a deal. And, you know, it all kind of culminates at the end when he we see him almost break. We literally see him as an addict. We see him at his weakest moment where he does what all addicts do. He yells at Diane. He wants to get rid of her. He wants to be left alone. Like, all these things. You mentioned turning the lights off. There are so many, uh, so many great, great moments that addictive behaviorists would actually recognize. Mm-hmm. And then he comes down, and it comes down to that moment where... Is he going to fall? And this is a sitcom. We're yeah. talking about a Thursday night sitcom. I'm saying, yeah, yeah. So this, this was so it's like you're sitting there going, and there's no no musical cues, no laugh track, nobody else in the scene but Sam and Diane, and we see, and she, oh, oh my, it's I, I I could go on and on and on, and I'm mm-hmm. not going to, but it's just this amazing powerful, powerful moment for sitcom television when you're watching with your family and we're kids and you see this guy about to break and have alcohol and stare at it. And like you said in your opening synopsis, and stare at it. And stare at it. And it's awesome because as an you know, as an actor I subtle subtleties of human behavior, of the face, of mannerisms, and you watch all kinds of thoughts go through his head as he stares at it. And it's kind of a profile camera shot, Mm -hmm. but you see him, there's a part of him that wants to kind of smile, that wants to kind of spit, that wants to throw something, that wants to be angry. Like, he goes through this range of emotions, and maybe, and all this stuff is maybe just by moving his mouth, maybe a couple millimeters, Mm -hmm. or his eyebrows. And it's so subtle but then eventually he, he wins, he beats his demon, and, and does the bar slide. It's, oh man, it's powerful stuff. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, you, like my favorites, like like when when he hears the what Rick said and when he has to like repeat the, the news that Rick lost the, the bottle cap and everything, and he kind of like punches or like fit, like open hands, like slaps part of the bar, like the wood and everything. And, yep. And then... Diane starts talking about something and you hear him tell her go home and it's such a weird mm-hmm. delivery like he's he's speaking through a fog like already you think like uh-huh. just like he he's not there in the moment and he's trying to put Norm's beer glasses away and he drops them and you just hear like the shattering glass and it's this like my favorite part of like just like the body language like he doesn't reach down to grab them he doesn't like like step back away from the glass it's like his arms almost cross like he almost I, I kind of feel like he wanted to almost like clasp his hands, like he's trying. He's literally trying to hold himself together. Yeah, and yeah. I almost there. There was a part of me that almost felt like he was maybe, maybe one Diane line away from him just swiping every beer glass off the off the counter, yeah, shattering the entire room. I almost felt like there was that. You know that awkward moment, and and you know, I'm sure everybody's been through this before, but there's almost you know. As a kid, I can remember, you know, when you're in trouble, you'd rather be yelled at. You'd rather have that danger in front of you, that anger in front of you, take it out, you know, whatever. It's when the it's when anger becomes silent. Mm-hmm. That's terrifying. That's absolutely terrifying. When and you see kind of Diane when he does that thing, like you said, the go home, mm-hmm. and you just there's almost like like she's saying, "Oh, well, watch, watch. I'll get drunk. I'll do whatever." It's it's terrifying what he might do as he sits there in silence. It's like what a and again, you know, I, I mentioned this a couple of times, but for a sitcom, this was absolutely powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it absolutely is, and um, and I, I'll I'll mention it now. 
this is the first episode that we have got to so far. So the first 10 episodes, this is the first episode that I like more than the pilot episode. Um, like in terms of like my ranking and, uh, I'll, I'll mention this now cause, uh, another listener has actually asked me to kind of make a ranking system. And what I think I'm going to do is <laughs> at the end of the first season, I will provide a ranking for every episode in that season. Uh, and I will just periodically update that with everyone so that maybe by the time I finish, <laughs> assuming I finish this, um, I will have my completed list for, for, you know, my favorites in, in every order. Um, but so far, this is the first episode that is, for me, is better than the pilot. And the pilot is an amazing episode. Um, yep, but this yep. one, and I, like, I mean, like, and there are things about it, this episode that I don't like as much as the pilot. Like, I, I don't think it's as strong. Like, it, it's not as, it's not as funny. You know, the ensemble isn't always there. But yeah, just in terms of performance, in terms of just being such yep. a different character profile and the strength yep. of the last five minutes, um, are, yep. are so, so dramatic and so good. Yeah, I would. I would agree. I would say I, I think you're right about your 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 earlier point that it's a kind of disjointed episode. It almost feels like two different acts of a different play. Mm-hmm. And yet, and yet, I think the humanization of Sam is complete by this point now in episode ten, which is when it aired. It was probably you know it may have been done sooner, but I think at this point. And I, this is something that I may talk about later as we go. I may not, but I think it's, it's very interesting that had you never seen another episode of Cheers and you turned on this episode, you don't need any backstory to understand him. This is this this perfect this perfectly. I mean, you established that he's a baseball player. You established that he was an alcoholic. You established what Diane kind of means. I mean, all these things are there that had you never seen another episode, you don't watch this and wonder why he did anything he did. Mm-hmm. I, I and and again I I would just I I could sing the praises for the the last part and I mean we could go through every line of the the show <laughs> I know I know um, there there's one thing that I did and it kind of occurred to me upon the rewatch when I was focusing on for the because when you do the podcast you have to scrutinize everything I I don't want to say I don't I don't like this because I I don't think it is a problem with the episode but when you look at the entire continuity of the series I do kind of feel like Coach should have recognized the danger that Sam was in. And had this episode come along in a different season, Coach would have gotten involved at the end. Um, Because in the beginning of season three, and this is spoilers for down the road, Sam does (laughs) relapse. Uh, Sam does start drinking again when, when Diane leaves. And Coach tries to stop and coach ends up having to get proactive and, and help Sam get involved and bring, bring Diane back. So I kind of feel like since coach knew the truth of the bottle cap coach should have been there at the end to help him. But I think it was just, it's kind of the nature of the show that it had to be Sam and Diane at the end. Um, sure. And, yeah. and maybe if this, yeah. had, if this episode had come along later in the game, I think that would have played out differently. Um, but because of mm-hmm. when it was and, and, and the setup, and we're still, again, I think if this was, you know, an early, like one of the first five episodes written or filmed, I think, you know, you still, it needs to be your, your two leads in the, in the climax. Yeah. And also, also, I would even piggyback on that and say also, you know, it's again, and this is kind of a testament to the, the first half and the second half being kind of different tonally. Um, what coach might not recognize, you know, for the first half of the show, 
the Sam's kind of misadventures from having bad luck is almost whimsical. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, you know, it, the, the bar kind of laughs at it. At no point do we as an audience, and maybe it's, maybe it was written this way on purpose, but I had no point, I would imagine at no point does Coach think that Sam's thinking about drinking again either. Mm-hmm. So that's, it's possible. We don't know. But then at the end, you know, it seems like it's more of a confession to Diane when he says, I've been thinking about drinking again. And I think the only reason he says that is because he, at that moment, believes he's getting his luck charm back. Yeah. Yeah, because at that point, he has no re- he, he's waiting for Rick to call him back, because at that point, he's already made yep. the first call. So, yeah. Yeah, true. So, it's an amazing episode. A very, <laughs> I don't even want to say, like, top-heavy, bottom-heavy. <laughs> it's just like the but the tone. But, yeah, it, I, I think you kind of said it earlier. Like, if this is the first episode of the show that you ever saw, or if this was the only one, you could live just on the the last scene between Sam and Diane, how how strong and how powerful that is. Um, yeah, yeah. But but again, like the and I'll, I'll come back to this. Like the bar slide is such a payoff. Um, mm-hmm. and yes, it's, it is. it's such so wonderfully done. Um, so, did you have any other notes about the episode before we go? Um, well, yeah, just a, a couple of things that you know, maybe just to talk about. You know, and one thing, and this kind of is a note overall as the show uh, progresses as it goes on that. Uh, it's amazing when you watch Ted Danson and a little bit real Perlman, a little bit Selby Long, but mostly Ted Danson behind the bar, um, constantly doing things, constantly working, uh, washing dishes, doing things that a bartender would do. And it's pretty amazing how overlooked it probably goes to most people because he's so good at it. And I know this because you, you know this. I did one scene as a bartender for a pilot on a TV show that never got picked up. And I had to play a bartender, wash dishes and answer questions to cops. And that's really hard to do. It's really, really hard to look believable doing it. And so it, it, you know, it's a testament to how well rehearsed these actors are and how well, good. The, the how strong they are, and how they know what they're doing, and how you know the dialogue must free form. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's pretty. It's pretty. I just notice all the time when Sam's behind the bar, he's always doing something, and it, it's pretty. It's pretty impressive. It to me, it feels like somebody who has been on the stage, who didn't just jump into yeah. TV or movies, but somebody who has acted in the theater and knows how to take advantage of space. When you're on stage, you can't just be standing around. You actually need to be in action in some way. Uh, Which actually comes to another point. I was talking to a former guest of the show, Mike Gillis, kind of brought up the fact that the first season has very limited scenery. Like, it's it's all basically the main (laughs) bar. You occasionally have scenes in the office or the pool room or the bathroom. This episode is all in the main bar. We never go to any of the other, like, smaller sets. That type of yep. thing yep. lends itself very like this could easily be adapted to a stage play. You could take any, you could pluck it, any random episode and adapt it. And I've I've always said that the uh, the season ten finale was a two parter about Woody's wedding, um, which ironically most uh, of it is not set in Cheers. It's at a different location, but <laughs> that would be an amazing play. But I yeah I I easily think this type of thing could be adapted to a stage show. So. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And then the last thing, last thing I just kind of want to, we talked a little bit about uh, athletes and superstitions before and everything. I think uh, one of the things that I I related to this, you know, because I do have all those same superstitions playing sports and doing anything, you know, I I very much rooted in routine and, and uh, stuff like that. So I think this, for some reason, I just kept watching the show thinking about the scene in Bull Durham when uh, Kevin Costner is yelling at uh, Susan Sarandon about 
uh, nuke not getting laid and all this stuff and blah, blah. But the scene, what he ends up quoting is he says, if you believe that you're playing well because you're getting laid or because you're not getting laid or because you wear women's underwear, then you are. And it's yeah. so, so amazing, that line. And, and, like, you could take that, strip that away from the uh, sports movie, and that you could plug that into just about anything in life. Like, it doesn't matter how silly as Sam tries to defend it as, you know, all these other things. If you believe it, then it works. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, I just I just kept going back to that line of dialogue and how, again, we're talking about that. And again, in an otherwise comedic movie, that's a very powerful, dramatic scene, too, which is kind of a lot of a lot of this episode that we keep talking about. You know, we keep going back to this episode. It's one of my all time favorites, but not one of the funnier ones. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and that line that you quoted the the Kevin Costner's line, which I love, and I as soon as you mentioned Bull Durham, I thought of that line too. So again, <laughs> right, right, right on the same page. I knew exactly where you were going. But yeah, you can apply that to Sam's moment of victory in this, and that that final bar yes. side is kind of the challenge that he knows. He's like, hey, I can do this. And his last line to die, he's like, hey, look, I, he's like, I guess uh, Rick took the wrong bottle cap because he's got this new, like this new totem. This is, you know, the, the, this is what, you know, helped him triumph over. Like this is, this is what he can do. And he believes in this one. So it's all in that, that mental headspace. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, it's also, it's also the last point about that too. Uh, it, it's very poignant that there's a earlier line in this, in the, in the show that it kind of gets overlooked. It's not really an important line at the time. But where Sam's going through all these, you know, hazards and hurting himself and all these other things, Diane looks at him and says, you realize you're the one that's making all these things happen to you. Mm-hmm. And Sam looks at her and thinks about it, but no response. And then it goes on to the, the scene moves on. Yeah. So it's very, very. So it's kind of like it's great that at the end when they come back to it, it's just him and her. Mm-hmm. And maybe that thought was still there. You know, maybe he did. Maybe that was a line, although it seemed like a throwaway line earlier. You know, maybe that was what was in his head that finally got him past it and made him win. So mm-hmm. who knows? All right. Okay. And with that, uh, let us move on to our, our final categories. And, oh, I, had, I did have one little note. I have to mention this um, because if I don't, Chris Franklin will beat me up. Um, on uh, the the Christopher McDonald credits, I mentioned that his movies and his TV shows. I forgot to mention, all importantly, uh, he provided the voice of Superman's father Jor-el on both the Superman animated series and the Justice League Unlimited cartoon, um, and he voiced Superman and Batman Beyond. If I didn't mention that, Chris would kill me. So, well, if you, then if you don't mind me jumping in, then he also provided the voice of Harvey Dent in an animated Beware the Batman. Oh, I, how did I miss that one? Damn. <laughs> well okay last, last, wait 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 just, just, uh, we're going here I just feel like I would be remiss if I didn't throw this one in too um, I think it's weird that you know there's there's certain actors that everybody in public society and pop culture get referenced and cross referenced to you know there's you know there's Cole Hauser versus Josh mm-hmm. uh, Lucas you know there's those type of actors that everybody mistakes Bill, Bill Paxton and Bill Pullman right. you know those type of things uh, Christopher McDonald always got lumped together in cross-reference with Jeff Conaway. And I made this mistake myself quite a bit in the 80s. And ironically, Jeff Conaway, who, if your listeners aren't familiar, was Kanicki in Greece. Mm-hmm. Christopher McDonald was Goose in Greece, too. <laughs> and I think it was very, you know, it was some, I don't know if that was, if they cast him because he looked like him, 
or if the comparisons came out after this, it's like what came first, the chicken or the egg kind of thing. <laughs> but I, th- I think it was I think it was really, really interesting. And the only reason I throw this out is because I've listened intently to all of your pre- prior podcasts. And I should point out, Jeff Conway also was on Taxi. So yeah. <laughs> there you go. There's, there's, it all comes full circle. <laughs> you, you have done your homework for this episode. So we, we appreciate it. Um, okay, moving on to Norm's tab and whoo. <laughs> So, <laughs> wow. Norm, Norm had been kind of conservative up to this point, averaging like two or three per episode. This time around, like, <laughs> so it's it set up for a punchline for to the big number that I had 27 for this episode. Now, part of that is the big punchline because they're they're listening to Rick pitch a game. It goes into extra innings. It goes to the 21st inning, and they're like, is it really the 21st? And you see this line of empty beer glasses in front of Norm, and his joke is like, I've got 22, but he picks up one. He's like, this one might be the national anthem. Um, <laughs> But but even if it hadn't been that like for that joke, he still would have had at least five in this episode. But yeah, twenty seven beers I credit him for drinking in this episode, um, which brings <laughs> his his season total now to fifty nine, and, and we're at episode ten. So yeah, yeah I, I would say I would say twenty seven might even be uh, might even be generous on your part because <laughs> it's very interesting that you know a, a nighttime. A nighttime Boston Red Sox game at home would have started at about seven o'clock their time, maybe seven thirty. And Norm is in the bar hours before that, as they're talking about the. I mean, it's like who knows how many beers he drank. And then it, it, the funny thing is, at one point he gets up, walks across the back to get beer nights, and then goes back to his seat. Yeah. And it's just like what we rarely see Norm get up and move. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, whew, yeah, this, this was a good one. So. Okay, then uh, let us move on to uh, what I think is probably the easiest category, or the easiest time that we've had for this one. I I, Uh, I already know where you're going. Yeah, yeah, the employee of the week. um, I will will say that Shelley Long absolutely deserves runner-up contention. Uh, her facial sure, tick is awesome. Mention. Her compassion in this episode is really good. She does she does a great job as the supporting character. But do we have to really debate this one? Is, is it anybody other than no. Sam? No, no, we don't. I mean, he's the heavy in this. It's obvious. There's, I mean, as much as I would love to, you know, give. Uh, Diane, honorable mention. And here's one thing I will say about her, uh, because the rest of it is all Sam. But I will say, I think it's funny because in my going back to our first, our first, the, when we first opened the podcast, we were talking about our childhood memories and what brought us to Cheers. As far back as I can remember, I just remember people of my peer group, at least, hating Diane. I remember people hated her. Now, I think that was because the actress was so, so long and so good in that role. But as an adult, as I watch this, she's fantastic. And I love these episodes with her and Sam and what they mean to each other. And this is, and we're so far, we haven't really approached a whole lot of romantic tension yet. I think we'll get there, but you know, this one, or then the one where you, you already did a podcast where he's interviewed on the news and then they could, they take off because he's a, you know, John McEnroe's in town. And so she's kind of there for him and kind of does, there's a, she really brings a lot to this, that she is so incredibly likable as an adult. Mm-hmm. But I remember as a kid, just everybody saying like, Oh, I hate that. Year. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, certainly the era that we were watching together, we were watching the, the Rebecca years. Um, yes, and correct. Rebecca, Kirstie Alley was a sex symbol. She was hot. Uh, that was a big yeah, deal yeah. when she, when she joined the show. But I also think, like, you know, because of the way Shelley Long left the show, there was a lot of bad blood. The The show 
<laughs> pretty regularly made fun of the Diane character after she left. Uh, like they yeah. rarely pulled their punches. Yeah. So I think it was easy to kind of dismiss her. But yeah, when I went back and I started revisiting the early episodes, I was floored by how good she is. And and I yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I say she is. I mean, this will change from episode to episode, but by and large, she is the MVP of the first season. She is she is yep. so good. Um, yeah, I would actually, I would, I would actually agree with that. Yeah. I think that all so far in a whole uh, ten episodes in, she basically, uh, she she has just some amazing beats, some amazing mm-hmm. moments. She's she's great in her character work. She's written well. She comes across like I, I just I, her compassion is still so incredibly in depth for somebody that's supposed to be the pompous ass kind of thing. Um, you know, I think in later years though, what's just because you mentioned, you know, how that show kind of made fun of her after she left. I do know for a, for a fact that one of my acting friends, Tim Dunnigan, who you may know as the Chief Crockett from K nine one one, was on was on Cheers uh, as a, as a, bit, a co-star, maybe an under five later on coming up, and he said it was during the Diane years. And he mentioned that she was treated kind of like a pariah by the other actors on the mm-hmm. show. She was definitely not included in the reindeer games. And, and he said it was interesting because he thought she was very sweet, very nice. Yeah. He didn't know what the story was off, uh, you know, off stage or off screen. But, you know, for some reason she was, she was, I mean, there's a reason she left the show and the reason they made fun of her. I, she was, something happened. I just thought about, uh, again, the moment like when Sam is, is nearing his breakdown and he's telling her to go home and, and he says like, you know, Rick lost the bottle cap in Kansas City. She's like, Kansas City, that's a city I've always wanted to go to. Let's get on a plane and go. Like, she she knows the stakes at that moment and she's like, I, yeah. I yeah. will literally do anything to get you out of this bar. Uh, and yeah, and yeah. like up to and including like buying a plane ticket to another city. Like I think she would have gone that far. Um, and and he, he, he didn't want to hear it, but, but yeah, that, no, it's an amazing moment. So, okay. Employee of the week. Like, it's my, but that's, yeah, that's, that's enough about Diane. Let's yeah. focus on Sam. Yeah, Sam was, is the employee of the week. He absolutely <laughs> is for, for everything. Like it's such a Sam heavy episode and his, his performance, both comedic, like, again, like talking about how he's cracking up during the, the, the scene between her and Christopher McDonald as, as the surrogate for the audience in that moment. He is wonderful because he's in on the joke and we can laugh through him. Uh, and then the drama yeah. at the end. So one of the other things I noticed about this is I, I first of all, in Sam, Sam Malone, there was there was a lot about Sam Malone as the character as it evolved that I related to as a kid and everything. I mean, the the athlete, the hero kind of thing, the bar owner, the leader of this pack of misfits, the perfect hair, but being very vain about it, and then you know, in the womanizing. And I think it's you know, they're, they're, I mean, he was probably the reason that I refused, adamantly refused to ever have a girlfriend my entire life. I was like, no, I got to be like Sam Malone, but. But more importantly, I think it's very, very interesting that this episode had virtually none of Sam's womanizing with anybody else. It was not written into this episode. And I think it's, it's, it's also kind of strangely poetic that we know as he, his addiction comes out in this episode. It's very front and center, and some addicts you know, replace one thing with another. It's very, very common. If you're a smoker and you quit smoking, you become an overeater or something along those lines. So... It, you know, it's interesting. It just makes me kind of wonder. And again, you know, we may never know the answer to this because as a famous athlete in Boston, he probably was a womanizer anyway. But it makes you wonder how much when he stopped drinking, did his need for, you know, did then his compulsion become about womanizing and dating, serial dating and stuff like that. And 
I want to, you guys have talked about this in other podcasts, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to repeat the same thing, but I think it's very interesting that everybody, almost to a man, everybody kind of agrees that as womanizing is always done in a very tactful uh, way. It's, it's, it's never about, it's never sketchy, manipulative, hurtful. He was never that kind of character. He was almost childlike in his view of, he just wanted to have fun. And that was fun for him. Having sex was fun for him. And if somebody wanted to join him and have fun, all for it. So I think that that was, it was really interesting. But again, by and large, going back to the, the lack of womanization and lack of flirtation in this episode, when he's dealing with such a a heavy, heavy burden. And he doesn't try to hit on Diane at the end, like he does in many other circumstances to break attention uh, or a tense moment or something, you know, he'll do something stupid to bring out the charm, bring out the, the flirt just to kind of disarm somebody. You know, it's, it's, yeah, why well, I just I just think that's why he's the MVP of this episode for me. He would be it's because he's honest, he's fragile, he's human, and and all these things. So that's all I would add to it. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. And it was kind of noticeably the one element sort of missing from this episode. I, I think probably the closest they come to addressing that is um, the great bit when he does the bar slide the first time when it's successful for when he does it for Cliff <laughs> and he tells Diane yeah. he's like that's just one of my hidden talents the other <laughs> one is just as impressive and she comes back with but you could hardly charge a buck for it uh, <laughs> which is yeah. Really- yeah well yeah that's true because it wouldn't be it wouldn't be fair if Sam Sam can't turn that off I mean obviously right, that's, right, that's, right. that's his that's his nature as, as a guy behind the bar when things are going well that's, <laughs> that's, that's his sense of humor so of course you gotta have one line yeah uh, so uh, we've we've said that this episode was much more drama heavy, it, not as funny, but there were still a lot of funny beats in it. What did you think was the home run of the episode? What was your, you, what was the funniest moment or your favorite moment in this show? Well, okay, I think we probably already talked about a couple of them, and I didn't want to elaborate earlier because I wanted to come back to it, but. There were there were a couple just great off the cuff lines like the Cliff's line hit the bricks pal I think was fantastic it was just perfectly <laughs> delivered even though it may be a little bit out of his character later on yeah I think that that was just that he it was almost like a bar bet because he gets Sam down there to do it because the guy doubts it and then once he wins the bet it's like get out of here you know it's kind of it's, it's so that was kind of funny I also love you know. At this point in the season now, I'm start, we're starting, as viewers, we're starting to wait for Norm's line when he comes in. I think it took, <laughs> may, maybe it took half the season. It might have taken a while. But now I think now everybody's waiting for it. And, you know, it's like, okay, Norm, hey. And then, hello, Norman, which is always a follow-up because she never calls him Norm. Um, then thirsty guy walks into a bar. You finish it. You know that was <laughs> that. That was at this point. Now we're starting to get some good liners out of Norm. Mm-hmm. But all that being said, I think the I, my laugh out loud moment had to be that whole maybe three minute exchange of Rick, Sam, and Diane about the misunderstanding with meditation and sex. Yeah. I just thought that that I mean I can't. It, it may be the obvious choice, and I I didn't want to go for the obvious choice, but you can't shy away from it. That scene was so damn funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, <laughs> no, it's it's amazing. I love that one. Um, they, I would I would just credit like I I I knew that was probably going to be the best one, so I put down a couple of other uh, uh like Good, yeah. um little backups. Um, when Sam comes in, it's an act two when when he says he locked himself in his car and Cliff's like, hey, I won the pool, and Cliff starts going through the ways that he's won the pool the last three days. He's like, uh, yesterday I, I bet Nixon cuts and he cut himself shaving. Uh, the day before that it was stubbing something and he or something, <laughs> stubbed his own. And Sam's like, it still hurts. Uh, and then they're like, well, what do you have? 
what do you have for tomorrow? And Cliff's like, uh, I see a mine shaft. <laughs> and, and Sam actually gives him this look like, wait, what? Like, and then like this, this fear, like, could I actually fall down a mine shaft? Uh, so I like that moment. Earlier on, yeah. there's a moment when um, when Coach is talking to Rick, and he's like, you know, back when I was with the Sox, you know, there were always women outside the, the ballpark and everything. And Rick's like, yeah, they're still there, Coach. He's like, really? Say hello to Rosie McGarnagle for me. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, and I, I caught on that one because because I've been prepping for this and I've been watching all these episodes. That name, Coach drops the name Rosie McGarnagle a few episodes later. Like, he comes back to that same one. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Um. <laughs> But then, yeah, the, obviously the, the, the moments with, um, with, uh, between Rick and, and Diane talking about meditation and or sex, that whole interplay is the funniest moment. Um, but for this one, I'm actually, I'm going to break my own rule and, and give the award to not a funny moment. Um, and I'm going to say the moment at the end when Sam does the bar slide the last time. Like that, that is a hurrah moment. Like, like, as you described, that's like a audience get on your feet and applaud moment. Um, it, yeah. It's just a very cool moment of triumph. And I think that is the, that is the best part of the, of the episode. So I would kind of give it, that would be my home run, even though it's not, it's not played for laughs, but yeah, yeah. It, it wins I, that I, category. I, yeah. I agree with you hundred percent. And I, it's, of course it's your show. So you get to break your own rules. <laughs> I didn't realize we could use a dramatic moment for this beat, but so I went with a funny one, but I 100% agree with you. I think that there's, I mean, like I said earlier in the podcast, there's the, the, the visceral reaction from the audience. That's probably watching, you know, this is taped in front of a live studio audience. They're all sitting there. You can hear them erupt in laughter because it was so heavy leading up to that. And his move is unpredictable. And it is absolutely as unpredictable as it comes. You don't, everybody's just thinking, is he going to drink it or not? Those are the only two options on the table. And then he slides it. And it's the, if you listen, that's probably the loudest I've heard the audience laugh out loud. And like I said, it's it's a Ernie, you said it. We're, we're both on the same page. It's a get up, get up off your seat and applaud kind of moment. Yeah, uh, host's prerogative. I get to I get to do that. So, <laughs> Fair uh, well, uh, Neil, thank you very much for uh, being on the podcast and helping me talk about this particular episode. Um, I, once I started this podcast, I knew for a lot of the reasons we've already talked about that you had to be my guest for this one. You're, you're welcome. I'm honored. I think you chose wisely, my my young Padawan. And I would I would say, you know, whenever whenever you need to discuss superstition or alcoholism, come to me. So, <laughs> yeah, I, you're always there. You're always there. So, um, so Neil, um, I, I mentioned at the top that you've been on a few of my other shows, and listeners mm-hmm. can hear your music on some of my other podcasts. But where else, if people want to find you online, or if they want to know more about your uh, your other projects, where else can people find you? Well, I'm scattered all over the internet. So if you want to listen to some original music, some original rock music, I've got a song page at ReverbNation.com slash Neil Daly. And uh, on Facebook, you can find my music and some videos at Neil Daly Rocks, Facebook.com Neil Daly Rocks. And then I will also share that uh, you and I both did a a 14-part web series years ago that is on YouTube that they can watch and see some of our amazing acting chops playing the role of Mr. Philly. So if you go to youtube.com slash K911series, and uh, you'll get to see Ryan in his full glory. <laughs> Ryan in his bathrobe and pajama bottoms. <laughs> yep, and, and the uh, epic hill roll down. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
the Epic Hill roll that ruined that bathrobe for me, by the way. <laughs> that ruined the bathrobe. Yep, it had a shelf life of one day. <laughs> uh, and probably the greatest uh, fight scene put to film since uh, Nicolas Cage versus John Goodman in Raising Arizona. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would even, I would even put, I, I would say it's top three between that one and then the naked bathroom scene in Eastern Promises. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that. So, uh, <laughs> Neil, uh, thank you once again for being on this episode of Cheerscast. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you, as always, for tuning into the show. You know, you can support us on Facebook and Twitter. You can leave a comment on the website post, which is at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Thank you very much, and until next time, we're closed. Listen. Now, he's been in baseball for a long time. Maybe there's something to this stuff about sex. No, Sam. Now, I appreciate the suggestion here, but I just don't think that's the answer. Oh, wait. Now, wait just a minute. Don't say that it's not the answer until you try it. Excuse me. My name is Diane. I have done this for years. I'll tell you, I would be happy to teach you how to do it. Well, Diane, this is very kind of you, but I don't think... No, 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 please. Do me the favor of trying it with me. Is she serious? Oh, yes. She's serious. She does it all the time. She just said so. That's right. Uh, do you... Uh, oh, are no. you kidding him? He just make jokes. <laughs> well, well, okay then, okay. Uh, what time's good for you? Well... Personally, I like to get at least half an hour of it in before breakfast. <laughs> but, uh, look, any time is all right with me. Oh, yeah, I like you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there is something so beautiful about experiencing it outdoors. Uh, don't people stare at <laughs> Yes, sometimes, but they end up learning something. <laughs> Sometimes people even join in. You know, all this talk has gotten me so excited. What the hell? Let's do it now. Uh, outside? Oh, oh, no, no. It's a little cold, and I prefer to take my shoes off. Um, Sam, could we use your office, huh? Wait a minute. I'm sorry. Listen, I let this go to... No, no, no. We don't need to hear from Mr. Skeptic. <laughs>